Brothers and sisters, uh, wherever you are at this moment, I invite you as you're able uh, to stand as we together uh, profess our faith, confirm our faith through the words of the Apostles' Creed. Would you join with me? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Today we're going to read uh, God's Word together in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses uh, 1 through 12, as we together continue and conclude our series on what it means to surrender to our identity in Christ. We're going to be reading John 8, 1 through 12. Hear now the Word of the Lord. But just... As Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses commands us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, Let anyone of you who is without sin, be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard it began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. She said, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is God's word offered to us in its reading and in its hearing. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Gracious God, we come before you in praise and thanksgiving for your holy word, for the wisdom that is contained therein. We ask, O God, you would meet with us now in this space and time, that you would open your word to us in such a way that it would meet us in this very moment, in this very place by the power of your Holy Spirit. Open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear. Open our minds that we would come to know and understand your word. Open our hearts that we would feel its power. 
And by your, your majesty and your grace, we ask that you would open our hands, that we would, in return, offer grace to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, have you ever felt trapped? Maybe that's a question that sinks in a little bit too close to home right now. Uh, you know, normally our homes are these places of refuge, and, and, and we go through the, the, the chaos and the busyness of life, uh, and, and we retreat into our homes, and when we arrive at home, there's this like, oh, this rest, this sinking uh, peace that resides within us. But right now, for some of us, maybe for most of us, our home might feel a little bit like a trap, <laughs> Like the front door is, is barred and locked and there's nowhere to run and nowhere to hide. My, my, my friends are, you know, uh, uh, taking turns walking the dog just to find a way to get out of the house. How crazy is that, that kids actually want to be the ones that walk the dog? It's because they feel trapped. Uh, a week ago, this Sunday, I, I, I fell into a trap of my own. It's a trap that I'd never experienced before, and that might seem crazy or odd to, to some of you, but, but I decided last Sunday afternoon that I was going to, to find a way to fully Sabbath on my Monday Sabbath. I was going to distance myself, turn off some, uh, some, uh, some, some ways that folks communicate with me, and I was going to just lean into some isolation. And so I decided I needed to find something to binge. I have never binge-watched anything. Which, which, which is a crazy thing for me to say in this day and age when binge-watching is, is normal or normative. Uh, but I, I sat down last Sunday and said, I need to find something to binge. And, uh, and I began a show called The Last Kingdom. The Last Kingdom is, is set in, you know, uh, 8th and 9th century uh, uh, United Kingdom. It is about Danes and Saxons and war and tribalism and, and God and gods and this clash. And, and I decided I was going to begin watching it. And I was, I was leaning into this, this story around the central character, Uhtred, Uhtred of Babenberg. And, uh, and I cannot tell you how many hours I spent watching the show, but it was into the wee hours of Monday morning, woke up on Monday, began watching it again, watched it all day Monday, and then in my free hours at night on Tuesday and Wednesday, I watched it until I wrapped up three seasons of The Last, King <laughs> the Last Kingdom on, on Wednesday night. These seasons are with hour-long shows, by the way, not the 30-minute not the kind of uh, rapid-fire, but hour-long shows. And I'll be honest, as I reflect back on my, on my first binge experience, uh, I felt trapped in the story. I was dreaming about The Last Kingdom. I was... Uh, I, I was uh, fully engaged and tormented uh, uh, in my soul, trying to resolve who I thought Uhtred should be with and what side he should ally with, and frustrated angst uh, arising within me uh, whenever he was mistreated. And so uh, I was trapped in that binge, and every other activity was placed secondary to the trap I found myself in. 
I was entirely enmeshed in that space. You know what it feels like to be trapped. To be trapped by a situation, by, uh, by the, 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 the context we find ourselves in today that requires distancing, whether it's, it's, it's the isolation that is a trap uh, or the, the, the distance from, uh, from friends or loved ones or family members that is the trap, or maybe it is something much deeper than that. A darkness or a despair or sin that entraps us, and we find ourselves there today. Jesus found himself in a trap, a trap created by scribes and Pharisees. You see, it shows that uh, in Scripture that Jesus goes into the temple, and while he's in the temple, he, ga- he has a, a, a crowd of folks that gather around him, and he begins teaching them uh, in the temple. And while he's teaching, there are scribes and Pharisees. Now, scribes in, in other translations would, would, be, uh, would be translated uh, teachers of the law. So these are teachers that are approaching a teacher, and they are preparing to trap him. So they bring to him a woman who they say has been caught in the very act of adultery. And with all sorts of uh, of demeaning sarcasm, they approach Jesus and they say, Teacher? One one who claims to be teacher, one who thinks themselves a teacher, one one who thinks themselves above us or should supplant us. And so in that sarcastic, demeaning tone, they come and they say, teacher, what do you say about this? And they lay the trap. This woman caught in the very act of adultery, the law of Moses says she's to be stoned. So how are we to proceed, teacher? And Jesus is able quickly to see he is in a trap. He's not to be, to be fooled by the, the circumstance of those around him. He doesn't flippantly respond. No, he sees the trap, acknowledges the trap, uh, and, and speaks directly to it by rejecting the trap altogether. He literally bends down and kneels in the temple and takes his finger and writes it on the ground. We don't know what he writes. We don't know what he's doing. But his posture shows us that he clearly is rejecting the trap that is being laid and has nothing to do with it. He sees quite clearly what, what, what options are before him and how this is a trap. He identifies it as such because here we have a group of people that are bringing a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery, and yet they want him to preside as judge whenever there are no witnesses, there is no testimony, and this is, uh, is, is a far cry from what the, the law of Moses articulates. You see, in both Leviticus and in Deuteronomy, we have, uh, we have what this teaching is according to the law of Moses of what should happen. In Leviticus 20, verse 10, it says, If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. Again, it's, it's stated in this way in Deuteronomy 22, verse 22. It, it opens this up for us. If a man is found sleeping 
With another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. You must purge the evil from Israel. Now, brothers and sisters, I hope that you, you've caught how odd this entrapment is through the way in which both of those two texts are addressed. God addresses the man first in both instances. If a man is caught in this situation, if a man is caught in this situation, then both are to have this outcome. And so now when Jesus has this woman brought before him with no witnesses, with no testimony, and with no man present, he sees it, a trap, smells it out, and bends down on the ground, writing on the ground, saying to everyone that would see, I'm not playing your game. You think that you could find me in this trap, but I will not stay there. But the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they persist with Jesus. They continue to press upon Jesus. And so he stands up straight, does not refer to the, uh, to, to the crime that has been committed in any way, shape, or form, just addresses the people and says, if you have no sin, cast the first stone. Brothers and sisters, if you don't have sin, cast the first stone. And then, rejecting the trap once more, he bends down again in a posture of rebellion, writes on the ground again, and one by one they leave, beginning with the oldest. Those that have lived the longest, that have, that, that have served the Lord and been striving after the law with all their hearts for their lives, they all know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So they leave one at a time. After everybody is gone, Jesus comes back up, stands straight before the woman and says, where are they? Where are those that are going to stone you? Where are those that are going to execute judgment over you, condemn you? She says, they're not here. And since they're not here, Jesus then turns and says, I don't condemn you either. But go. Go and sin no more. No longer live in this life of sin. You, you see, Jesus doesn't say you have not been found to be sinful. He doesn't say, I have, I have found you to be sinful. Go and continue doing that. He doesn't say, I found you in this state. Stay just like that. No, he says, I found you in this state, a sinful state. Go now from here. Furthermore, from this point on, do not sin. Be a changed woman because of the second chance of grace that I am offering you today. And brothers and sisters, that's oftentimes where we end the reading of this text. Uh, we often conclude uh, this story of Jesus' interaction uh, with, with the Pharisees and scribes and his interaction with the woman, tie a bow on it, and end it there. But I don't want us to see that as the end. I want us to, to hear how Jesus then responds to the situation that he has seen uh, transpire and takes them into a deep and rich teaching for us today. 
if I made all of you thirsty just then, it's because I love you. Uh, send your kid to the refrigerator. Have them bring you something to drink. No, not alcoholic. Have them bring something else to you, and then we'll continue the teaching. How does this continue? It doesn't end for us in verse 11. We are to see and hear the connection to verse 12 and how it opens up for us. In the NIV, it says it this way. It says that when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And and when we hear it phrased that way, we we might assume that this is a disconnected situation, but but that's not not how it's to be read or how it was constructed. We're, We're to see this situation and this teaching as one tied together. Let me tell you how I know this. There's a there's a word. In the Greek, that in the NIV and the NRSV is almost entirely uh, neglected, uh, that is used 502 times across the New Testament, uh, it's, it's the word aun, O-U-N is the, uh, the transliteration, O-U-N, aun, and it, it, it is translated almost every time as therefore, or sometimes it's translated as so. But, but in, in, in this translation, in the NIV, it's, it's actually almost entirely uh, neglected. It's just not even present. So I want you to, to hear we receive this story, and he says, Go now and leave your life of sin. And a better way to translate this would be, Again, therefore, Jesus spoke, saying, It's as though this is now tied to, it's a part of, an integral part of his teaching. Not just did he teach with his life, not just did he teach with his action as the scribes and Pharisees entrapped him, but now he's teaching a lesson that they could, that all who are listening can can apply directly to their lives. He wants us to see verse 12 tied to verses 1 through 11 and not pull them apart. So we're to see that this this light that is in Jesus that, that overwhelms all darkness. Darkness is, is applicable testimony to what just took place. So who is listening at this point? Is the woman still there? Well, we don't have evidence in the text that she left. She very well might still be present receiving this teaching. Are the Pharisees there? Actually, we could say, yes, they are, because as he begins this teaching, they then question him again. So the Pharisees who were just rebuked, who walked away, walked at a far enough distance to still receive the teaching that Jesus offered. Were his disciples there? Most certainly. Certainly his disciples were present. Uh, We know because we have a, a firsthand account of this in the Gospels for us. Were witnesses there? Certainly all those that had gathered for teaching were there. And everyone that was in this scene now has Jesus frame what has just taken place in their midst in light of this contrast between light and darkness. And he says, Jesus says, in me there is light, and if you follow me, you will not, you will not walk in darkness. You can walk in the light of life. And, and this, this theme for, for John is huge, this, this, this John orientation of light and darkness. We remember it from the beginning of the gospel of John just a few chapters earlier in chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. 
It talks about Jesus as the Word, and then it continues. It says, uh, in Him, in Jesus, the Word of God, the Logos, was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not, cannot, will not overcome it. You see, this, this light and darkness piece is, is huge for John, and it also continues all the way into, into 1 John, a later letter that's, that's penned. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. It articulates it in this way. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. In him there is no darkness at all. This light and darkness battle, this despair and hope contrast is woven into the biblical text and it's to be seen and applied to what just took place between Jesus and the Pharisees and the woman. So first, let's apply it to the woman. The woman has been caught in sin. Jesus does not discount that or, or, or dismiss that. She's been caught in sin and she's also been humiliated and exposed publicly. And this, this public uh, display of humiliation is something that, that I, am, I can only imagine has been impressed upon her as one of the darkest times in her life where she has been confronted with her own sin and, furthermore, has had her sin on display for the whole world. Have you ever made a mistake? Have you ever sinned in such a way where others were made aware of it? Where you humiliated yourself? Maybe before your spouse or in front of your kids or colleagues or coworkers or neighbors. Have you ever been in that dark space of humiliation and despair, wrestling internally with your own pain and your own sin, but also understanding that it is not something that you wrestle with alone, but others uh, are, are, are participating in that, and we feel the weight of judgment come upon us. It's dark. But I, I don't think Jesus only wants us to see this, this light and dark imagery as it applies to the woman and what she went through. I think he also intends for us to see this light and darkness contrast as an invitation to apply it to, uh, to the Pharisees and scribes. You see, first you have the Pharisees and scribes, uh, they're, they're out of the normal uh, seeming joy in the moment as they would expose someone else and offer a judgment upon them as though there was satisfaction in the judgment or that someone else's pain was something to be played with and that was an, an ugly darkness for them to participate in. But, but not just that, also how they set this as a trap in order to, in order to, uh, to, to, to dismiss Jesus this is all a rejection of Jesus, another element of darkness. And Jesus is saying to them, Here, you Pharisees, 
You're rejecting light and participating in darkness, but come to me. Follow me. Follow me, and in your following, you will experience light. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that that in this darkness, we can relate. Whether it's the woman's or the Pharisee's or an invitation just for us to enter into it in our own space, we have felt trapped in the darkness. And I want you to to take a a, a long enough moment to lean in there, to, to, to not shy away from it or pull back from it. But if we're truly to surrender to Jesus, to experience his grace and the hope that we have in him, we must lean into that despair. Because whenever we find ourselves there, we can receive the full contrast that is experienced in the light that we have, the hope that we have in Jesus. If we're going to turn the corner, if we're going to see both sides, we have to start uh, there in the dark spaces and turn into the light. It's like when you've closed your eyes for too long, maybe when you were like uh, on the beach in, in a reclining chair in the sun and your eyes are closed, and that first moment you open your eyes. You see, that light has always been that bright, but you don't understand how bright that light is until you've experienced some darkness. And so go into that space, lean in there, but know that Jesus doesn't ever leave us there. He is always inviting us into this hopeful future that we have in him, that we are walking in the light of the life of his grace each and every day. So in whatever way, shape, or form you find yourself trapped today, whether it's a darkness of sin, a darkness of rejection, or a darkness of despair, lean in so that you would be prepared to receive the hope that is there for all of us in the grace of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we are so thankful for the life of your son, Jesus Christ, that that, that he acknowledges our pain and, and acknowledges our despair, and he enters in there and gives us hope. Lord, we need an extra dose of hope this morning. We need an extra dose of your light and your love this morning. And so we pray, God, that you would lift us out of any darkness, that that it would have no hold over us. It could not overcome us, but, Lord, that your light and your love would shine through us. Lord, help us to bear witness to this truth that that the, the valley of the shadow is not a place where we linger too long because you lead us through it as we are called to follow your son, Jesus. Lord, we submit to your love and to your grace. We submit to your son, Jesus. We follow him in all our ways. We honor you. Amen.